Hello and welcome to The Naked Scarf. I'm Adam. And I'm Andy. And today we're going to be looking at the war games. So, Andy, war, what is it good for? <laughs> oh God. Um, right, you're going to have to forgive me because, you know, this is four hours of the war games later and my brain has been fried. Uh, it's not like but, there's a lot of plot, to be fair. No, there's not a lot of plot. But it's trying to take the fact that there's not a lot of plot and then they stretched it over ten episodes and then, like, sort of think to myself, what am I missing? Right, OK, basically, uh, uh, the Doctor, uh, this is Patty Troughton, uh, Doctor number two, um, and Zoe and Jamie um, arrive in a sort of war zone and it turns out that uh, uh, sort of a couple of bad dudes in a sort of bad dude consortium with their superior technology have taken um, some, you know, uh, war zones, you know, the American Civil War, uh, 1917, uh, World War, um, Mexican Civil War, Mexican Civil War, yeah, yeah, a couple, couple of uh, different wars, and and they've sort of like podged them together like one massive game of Risk or something, um, except that they're all like in their own self-contained zones, and and they're just having a bit of a, a laugh. You it's know. what happens when Dungeons and Dragons nerds run an entire planet. <laughs> I really hope that we haven't offended any Dungeons and Dragons players. I, I know some very sexy people who play Dungeons and Dragons. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, I do. Okay. Right. Yeah. Actually, let's not get into that. Um, where was I? Oh yeah, lots of wars. Um, and 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 basically, the Doctor gets captured a lot and escapes and captured a lot and escapes and captured a lot and escapes and then at some point he realises that um, actually you know there's some other Time Lord involvement going on in this whole thing and so yeah probably about it right now actually um, but is this the whole calling in the Time Lords getting put on trial and exile to Earth yeah yeah and then that all happens John at Pertwee. the end but like literally in the last episode you've got nine episodes of, of, of things happening very slowly and then one episode of oh Oh, because it's the first time the Time Lords all actually pitch up, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's the first time, yeah, I mean, because this is famous the story that it's basically an origin story for the Doctor. Yeah. Because before, at this point, people have waited six years to find out who the Doctor was. I mean, people complain now about Moffat and when are we going to find out who River Song is? And that was, what, three years or something, I guess. Yeah, three years? It must have been, yeah, about three years. Yeah. Or, um, when, when are we going to find out about the astronaut? But, you know, back in the 60s, they didn't bitch about it on the internet. They damn well waited, and six years later, they found the answer. Can you imagine the internet had been around in the 60s? Who would have just been like, it's the second season. When are we going to find out who William Hartnell really is? And all that crap that people come out with. Now, I, don't get me wrong. I really like the premise of the war games. I like the idea of, you know... Some people sitting up there and and essentially playing Risk, but with real people. You know that, 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 that there's some nice overtones to that, but to stretch it out across ten episodes. But it's one of those classic Doctor Who things. Was they originally had I think two epi- two stories, and yeah. one got can- we didn't even have time to watch the the making of this time. So uh, I have seen it. I have seen the making of. So I'm, I'm guessing a bit from my own store of nerdery. Here, but I've got a feeling there, was, there were originally two stories, like a four and a six parter, and for whatever reason they fell through. So they literally, Tenant Sticks and Malcolm Hoke had to write, just fill ten episodes to the end of this, this, the, the series. And also, obviously, have to include the Doctor being exiled on Earth and Pat writing out Jamie and Zoe. And Which Patrick is a Trouton. shame because like Jamie and Zoe are probably one of the hottest like couple. Well, not that they were a couple, but you know, like uh, hottest companion teams in the TARDIS for 
for a little while. Uh, Zoe, she's 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 a very cute, very cute. Yeah, he's very cuter. Do Do you think? That's what I said. I said very you cute. said Vicky. Did I say Vicky? I meant yeah. Zoe. No, Vicky's okay, I but, I, 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 but <laughs> Wendy Padbury is yes. very, very cute. Yes, very, very cute. And and Jamie, he's he's kind of like there's something harsh he's got about bo- him. Boys, good. You're looks. always wondering what under what's under his kilt. <laughs> Pants, I imagine. <laughs> I I did notice actually there was one bit uh, where where there was a perspective shot of him lying down. It sort of started near his feet, and his legs were very carefully crossed. So I did wonder. Family show. I did wonder whether or not he was actually wearing pants on set that day, because let's face it, you would absolutely love the idea that the entire time he had been making this BBC Family show, he had been commando. I'm sure Fraser <laughs> Hines has said whether he was commando or not, but I actually can't remember. Oh, I, I'm sure there's. If I if we bothered, we could track down an interview where he ever went yay or nay on on the whole whether he was a real Scotsman. Anyway, apparently me going anyway at the end of one of these is, is a catchphrase in this, according to some people. <laughs> I, I, you, we ran off one and then I realised how badly off topic we've gone and I go, anyway! It, it's terrible thing about doing a podcast is you get so aware of your own speech patterns. <laughs> I don't. I just come out with an uncensored stream of bullshit. This is true. This is, this is very true. The major stumbling block for a lot of people with this, as you've already said, is it's ten episodes long. And that's too long. You can't... I can't defend that. I mean, it's not the longest Doctor Who story. No. You have the Dalek Master Plan at 12. 13, if you include the, the famous cutaway episode. Oh, uh, yeah, and but I don't want to think about tri- that right technically, Trial now. of the Time Lord is 14 parts, but that's for individual, distinctly individual stories with an interlinking narrative. I mean, and Dalek Master Plan... I've watched the two episodes on the Lost in Time set, but I'm not too familiar with the story, but I, from what I know, it, it flips locations a lot. Mm. I like this, which just takes place... Well, because it's one of, the, one of the troubles, actually, with this, because they're trying to fill the episode, they'll do something like... The, the, I think it's at the end of episode two, they drive from the World War One war zone into the Roman zone, and it's, you know, it's a great typical Doctor Who cliffhanger of suddenly these... Roman legions charging them and they're getting trying to get the car started so they find this entire new location then the next episode they go right back to all the old ones again and it's quite frustrating as a viewer when I first got this particular DVD set I hadn't seen it before and I, I think I was working late at the time and what I would do is when I got back from home I'd watch a couple of episodes each night and I really enjoyed it I, I, didn't, I thought I'd be bored but watching it a couple of episodes every night really made a difference it, it spread it out and it was a lot more enjoyable than watching yeah, large I chunks imagine. I think this is a trouble because you and I watched two l- last week three yesterday and we watched five today and that's yeah, probably we had to pull a sleepover to, uh, Adam it, had a face pack on we painted each other's toenails talked about boys we did um, they're so dreamy oh so dreamy <laughs> so so dreamy and this is actually my thing with the old Doctor Who actually a lot of them, not just the ten, not just this but the old six parters is they were never really made to be watched in one go. No. This is the thing. They weren't really made to be repeated viewing. Well, repeated this is the viewing. thing, and I actually wondered about it, because logistically, um, the episode did get a little complex at times, at times. Um, you know, lots of different characters, lots of different locations. And I did have to wonder, it would be interesting to know, if, if uh, watching it at the time, you know, one a week, um, it would actually be that easy to keep up with. What's nice is the way they do introduce new characters throughout, so it does keep it a little fresher. It's not yeah. just the same cast. But I mean, the point I was making was, I'm really curious to know how people watch classic Who. Do with people just buy the DVD and watch it straight through, or do they watch? Do they spread the episodes out? Because I'll do that with certain stories. I'll spread the episodes out. Particularly a Pertwee six parter, I'll tend to watch a few and then watch another few because there's very few that I can watch straight through. 
and it always, and it does change as a viewing experience. I'm not saying it can take a bad story and make it good. I just used to watch whatever was on UK Gold, and then when I started to get more into it, I looked up uh, a lot of the uh, plot synopsis on uh, Wikipedia, and if I liked the sound of one, then uh, I'd... Citation needed. But yeah, so I think it very much depends on your viewing experience, but I don't think The War Games is something you can watch in large chunks. If spread out, it's very enjoyable, because I mean, you know, it's well, it's well written, the, the lot, it's pretty well acted, there's some interesting accents... Yes. <laughs> there, there's the uh, black Amer- American uh, soldier who seems to occasionally slip into Jamaican yeah. on a couple of occasions. And then there's, um, oh, what's the Mexican dude called? The most stereotypically Mexican character they could do with the big hat. Yeah. And, 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 and the sombrero the and the, the uh, si senor kind of the, yeah, the worst. And the bandits and, yeah. The accent going all yeah, over there the place. Yeah, there are some great uh, <laughs> racial stereotypes going on in there. God bless you, 60s BBC. Yeah, so, so you know it's well acted, and one one thing about this story actually is it's got pretty very strong villains. It does. Yeah, uh, you've got interesting enough because the aliens in this none of them ever really have a name. No, that's you the point. have the scientist, you have the security chief, you have the war chief, and the warlord. So they're all defined by their roles. By their roles, exactly. Uh, the war chief is uh, the other time lord, obviously, and he but he, he's a lot more pantomime in some ways. He's even got the little kind of villain beard, villain yes. facial hair. He's got this kind of groovy sixties thing going on yeah in no, it, it was uh, pointed out actually uh, about the war chief that um uh you could see that his sideburns were quite clearly sort of drawn on uh in a sort of pointy fashion with uh, uh probably an eyeliner pencil or something uh yeah just like you know old 60s black and white you could get away with a lot more back then but he did you know what actually i, I thought he looked a wee bit like uh uh uh, the master, actually. I, I was actually going to bring this up. There is a theory. There's always been a theory that the war chief is the master. No, now, it wouldn't surprise me. He does look a lot like um, what's his name? Uh, Roger uh, Delgado. Yes, that's the one. It's it's similar facial hair. Yeah. But my my thought is, he, I don't think he was ever he was never intended to be because I mean Terence Dix created him and Terence Dix helped created the master and I don't think he was ever Terence Dix never said that he meant for him to be the. I actually have a theory that you can tell if a time lord is evil or not by looking at them and if they have interestingly pointed facial hair that means they're evil. What like the Rani's beard. <laughs> the, the 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 Rani wasn't evil. She was immoral. Oh, yeah, okay. Listen to our previous podcast if you want more on that the discussion. Oh, where, wait, where, where, where were we? Um, Sorry, have I gone completely regular no, topic you did, again? Yes, you have completely. But no, the, the, the war chief is the master. Is a theory that's always kind of resurfaced. I don't go for it personally. I'm quite happy to believe there are a lot of uh, evil time laws kicking about. Because this isn't the first time the Doctor we've seen the Doctor encounter a uh, previous member of his race because William Hartnell encountered the meddling monk. Yes. So that's not what the shock is. But of course, what the shock is is like finding out their names. Like It's mentioned very casually in episode six. They just go Time Lords and it's dropped. There's no big build-up. There's no bum, bum, bum. Yeah. It's just Time Lords and, and it's just out, it's out there. So actually, same with the, uh, with the War Chief's travelling devices, which I think in the, the uh, novelisation are called Sidrats. For whatever reason, but uh, they just suddenly appear with a TARDIS sound in I think episode two, and again there's no big build up. It's just TARDIS sound, and it appears and disappears, and and I mean because the Doctor and none of the other main characters are there at the time, but still it's like it's quite a major revelation. Yeah, but it's just kind of done. It's not emphasised. 
Yes, although there was quite an early build-up of, uh, oh, um, you know, in fact, as soon as they uh, encounter one of the boxes, uh, the companions are all, oh, it's, it's, it must be bigger on the inside. And, and, and they're pretty much saying that it's a TARDIS in all but name. And, and, and uh, old Patty Troughton's uh, doing his best to avoid uh, saying anything about it. Yeah, I mean, all the regular cast are great as well, as always, you know. Yes. Uh, Patrick Troughton, great performance, some great scenes. Patty Charlton's son is in this, apparently, so I'm reliably informed yeah, by... Yeah, as Private Moore, uh, before he, he descended the social ranks to become King of Peladon. I have to say, probably not the strongest performance in there, but uh, but then again, I was also reliably informed by my uh, Who Encyclopedia here that uh, he then went on to play the Professor in Midnight, and that was a very good episode, and, and that was a good performance. So, obviously, he got better. <laughs> Sorry if you're listening. That that, that was definitely a yes, compliment. <laughs> because Patrick Troughton's family listens to this podcast. They, they stalk or know. They stalk or not to a podcast in the hope that their dad will get mentioned. That's and what I would take do. And if, if I was in, like, some sort of massive cultural institution over the years, then I would, I'd hang on to that. I'd hang on to that, and, and I'd... I'd, I'd 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 be like you know Betty Davis in whatever happened to Baby Jane. I'd be there like you know, <laughs> rocking back and forth with all my past glory all around me, like listening to these these people. Um, yeah, and and you know, still opening my fan mail that's sent to me by you know mentally ill people. And I, I, you can actually stop rocking that. You've made your point. <laughs> yeah. Has anyone ever told you you're a very scary woman? <laughs> More often than I'd like to remember. There's well, wrong we with keep me we keep flipping to... around a bit. This is probably, as always, you. Yeah, but like trying to I keep say, track. ten um, episodes. Ten episodes, right? So, villains we were talking about. So we talked about the War Chief. Um, a lot of his scenes with Patrick Troughton are really good. Talking about strong performance from Patrick Troughton. Yes. They, they've got a good uh, chemistry going on between them. Philip Maddock as the Warlord, who's obviously turned up in such classics as Power of Crow as well. Oh, and Brains and Morbius, but Power of Crow. Um, <laughs> But he's very good. He, he's kind of a far more understated villain. He's very yes. clipped and precise, and he's not too over the top. You know, he doesn't manically laugh. He chuckles, and he has this kind of weird grin that he gives people occasionally. That's just so cold. It, it's not. It's less of a grin and more like he's baring his teeth, like he's about to attack. You know what is interesting, actually. I, I think that his look was very heavily modelled on a um, on a prolific uh, SS man uh, with the little glasses. And I'm, I can't remember what his name was, but when I saw him, I thought that his uh, look might actually be a direct reference to this, this uh, 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 Nazi um, uh, back in the day. <laughs> so, sorry, folks, we've actually uh, got my better half, Lauren, listening in on this recording session. She just whispered something, I'm not quite sure what. I think Andy was thinking of Goebbels. Goebbels. Goebbels? Goebbels, yeah. Tara, tara. I was going to say, Lauren's from New Zealand and thus speaks funny sometimes. <laughs> back in your box, back in your box. <laughs> I'm going to go away <laughs> But Goebbels, is that? Goebbels, uh, Right, yes, Goebbels. Yes. Um, uh, thank you, box person in, in who doesn't exist. In case you're wondering, Lauren hasn't seen the War Games as, as much as she loves New Who, Old Who, Borza. She quite tried for instantly. two minutes and she then tried she had five. to leave again. No, no, to be fair, it was about five, five and then she went five. on board and left, so... <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, so villain's great performance. It's just more chaotic than usual, even for us. I got this feeling we're like we're like going <laughs> all over we've the place. We've just watched four hours of classic. We ha- no, we've watched two hours. To be fair, we watched five episodes a day. Yeah, but then last night we watched another three, and then okay, well we watched a we lot. Spread of it who. out. We have watched a lot of who. My brain okay. is fried. Okay. All I can think about is curry. 
<laughs> later, later for the curry. <laughs> You're afraid I've got to edit this today. We we got so bad. We're all, we're all like, yeah, we're going to watch it in one week and then we'll record and then that's going to be a week to edit it. But no, now this is the day of technically we're supposed to release it and we're recording it at ooh twenty five past six. There goes my evening. Anyway, okay, so obviously the big thing ultimately is the Time Lords in this and yes. their, their appearance. I mean, what's interesting is first appearance. They're far more godlike. Yes. Far more godlike and than say their the more corrupted yes. ideal that appears after Deadly Assassin, which is, then becomes the norm. But right now, right here, they're very you know, voiceovers, controlling the TARDIS, making force fields materialise. Yes, they are. They, and they're dressed what? a little bit like monks as well. It, it did make me uh, wonder as well, actually, like, uh, when I saw them on screen, I sort of thought to myself, you can't actually imagine the Doctor being made to dress as a Time Lord, can no, you? No, I was You'd trying. you hate it. It would be like that kid who like looks back at his christening robe and thinks, how the fuck did you get me into that? And it, it would just be like that. Like you know, I, I can imagine the Doctor's mum sort of fishing out some photos saying, like, oh, I wish he dressed like this more at the time. Doesn't he look smashing? And like you know, yeah. the Doctor sort of like hides so you imagine a young William Hartnell looking uncomfortable as a monk. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it might not even have been a young William Hartnell. I mean, you don't know that. Could well, yeah, someone else? We don't know. No, no, maybe, no, maybe, no, maybe, no. We're not. Maybe, this theory maybe. about oh, maybe he'd regenerated for William Hartnell is bollocks. It's been established several times in the series what number of regenerations he's had. It's just because the production team on Brain of Morbius decided to have a laugh, and it got in typical fan fashion. It got focused on and blown up. I mean, <laughs> okay. God. Adam is definitely getting pissy now because he's starting to make the hand gestures. I just, it annoys me sometimes people pick on little things and they won't let go years down the line. Years down the line. Because you're laughing at me. And I, I know I'm like that. I know I'm like that. But I know that's a bad thing, ultimately. <laughs> I know that's not good. So I try and stop it. I know people just embrace it. They don't even fight it. You're right. So you get two types of nerds. You get pedantic nerds and pissy nerds. I wonder which one you are. I'm pissy and pedantic. <laughs> I'm double P. <laughs> uh, random observation. Uh, going with the, uh, the this is this is a, uh, a, a these villains are all dungeon dragon nerds. They all wear glasses. Yes, they, they do. Kind of I, I think that was to um, uh, because the uh, the guy with the uh, monocle it actually seems to have some sort of hypnotic quality or. Or, yeah, because I know they put the glasses on, like the, the British general. Yes, and and then and then he is like, you know, you don't want to think this, and then the person goes, you don't want to think this, and <laughs> yeah, that 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 was my, I, I could totally have, have been in the war games. Absolutely. Oh yeah, another observation actually, and there was uh, because initially they start off in in uh, 1917, the British War, and uh, they they sort of make two friends, uh, two uh, uh, British uh, fighters, um, uh, Carstairs, who is a, a British soldier, uh, really rather hot, um, very heroic. I did like his involvement a lot. Carstairs is definitely up there on my I would list. And then there was Lady... I, w- I want to say Lady Jane, but that's a G.I. Joe character. Yes. Lady Jennifer. <laughs> Lady Jennifer, um, who who was a nurse and an ambulance driver. Um, once again, quite heroic. Um, uh, but, but, but she sort of just disappears halfway through. I was thinking that, actually, watching the last few episodes. She doesn't really appear in the second disc. No, she doesn't. And, and uh, uh, Carstairs uh, is in it all the way through. Uh, because, literally, she's um, left behind um, um, because they uh, tried to get a band of resistance fighters together from across 
across all the different um, uh, war zones and she's left behind to sort of tend to them all and but that's it and up until then she had been quite an active and involved character and then she's just like told to sod off and, and do the womanly job I, I guess maybe it's because they're introducing other characters or maybe they just didn't want to pay one actress for appearing more episodes because I imagine they were paid the number of episodes they appeared in yeah, it's no point. Uh, yeah, on the, when those uh, unfortunate realities of television. I mean, it wasn't making. a massive loss. It's just at the end when Carstairs sort of said, "Oh yes, I'd like to get back to uh, Lady Jennifer," and I thought, "Oh yeah, what happened yeah. to her?" Yeah, I had the same reaction. I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I remember." Yeah. Yeah. Ambulance, and quite important early on. I, I could imagine actually that if you'd been watching it one a week, you know, in the original run, that they'd all be like, "Lady Jennifer, who the fuck is Lady Jennifer?" They would have forgotten all about her by then. Because this is obviously like the last story they made in black and white. Yes. Uh, Actually, I was thinking one thing while watching it is it, it's quite a good example of sometimes black and white making things look better. Like things yes. like I imagine if it had been done in the Pertwee era, things like the Roman Legion might have looked a bit tacky. Yes. And even just oh, yes. the, the alien guards in their kind of one-piece gimp outfits would have looked... Or even just the fact that you could tell that they had shot all the different war zones which had been collected from all these different times and locations, etc. Uh, they had obviously shot them all on the same sort of field. Mm. And uh, in black and white, that's not a problem. But in colour, you would have looked at it and thought, yeah, they, they shot this all on the same field. You know, the American Civil War is the same place as an ancient British Roman legion. Exactly. Obviously, what's also interesting about this is it is an end of an era. It's the final second Doctor story. It's yep. just before his exile on, on Earth. I'm most quite interested in, in Doctor's last stories because there seems to be two types. There's, there's one where it just kind of happens. I mean, in Tenth Planet, there's no build-up to his regeneration, really. He just collapses yeah. and regenerates. And then you've got something like Planet of the Spiders, which is much more of a kind of nost- almost a nostalgic look yeah. back for Pertwee's era. Lots of little references, lots of little plot lines tying together. And then, obviously, you've got something like end of time where it's just like I'm going to spend 20 minutes visiting everyone I ever knew because obviously dragging this out for long as possible will make I, you cry more. I've never spent so long, you know, shouting at a much-loved doctor. Will you <laughs> die already? It was a bit like, just regenerate now. <laughs> Please, I'm, I, I don't need to see Rose. I saw her last year. I don't need to see... I don't oh, need look, to we're see upsetting oh, Lauren. She, 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 I'm sorry, baby. I really like Rose. Uh, well, that's, we, that's we, not... we, we quite like Rose too, but, but you know, just, just by the end and all those cameos and she had a mouthful of, of anaesthetic from the dentist or something and yeah it was uh, anyway you know what i mean that this isn't a nostalgic look back at the era that no, uh, in not. the final episode there are references to uh, he goes i fought these deadly dangers and then immediately brings up quarks which might not yeah! be the best. oh my god that's if, so if, cute if he'd chosen any other any other menace like a celestial toy maker maybe they wouldn't have regenerated him well this is the thing i mean um, um i was actually starting to squeal a little bit when that came on because because even though you know the doctor is there in front of his time lord judges saying i fought these evils and then it comes and he's going it's so cute it was it so cute and then uh, it was just like basically with the exception of the sea monsters they just played a little montage of, of Doctor Who monsters that I would like in miniature in a hutch <laughs> yes uh, a, a deadly hutch of doom oh uh, god yeah but it is interesting. I could be just like the great Wolgenstein yes you could that, that, that was a reference to uh, Doctor Who you don't Who have Dive, to explain the, the reference yeah, yeah, yeah not everyone might have gone to Doctor Who live I thought it was. A re- oh, well, I thought you were going to. Re- you were referencing a uh, well, Carnival of Monsters. monsters but yeah, that, that was uh, the, the, the that was referencing Carnival of Monsters. Yeah. Okay, right. Anyway, <laughs> uh, there, I said. I said anyway again, and I think I've said interesting at least three times in this podcast <laughs> already. You, you know my point. It's not. 
that particular nostalgic. It's kind of which I like. It's kind of going forward. Yeah, it it, ha- it has acknowledgement of the past, but then it just goes straight into the new. In all fairness, yeah. it's it's almost trying to play it for a last a little bit at the end when uh, they they um, say that his punishment will be to regenerate and and he's uh, trying to and they're but giving him the chance it, to choose his face. Isn't it quite almost a horrific thing? The end when he's sent spinning off into the darkness, scream, he, and he he says that oh my giddy art, a kind of Patrick Troughton childlike yeah. appearance, and then by the end he's literally just screaming no 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 yeah, and it's even kind of more horrific in if you look back in retrospect now it's. We'd actually go back to the end of time where the doctor goes, no, no, it's like a death, and they are kind of they're killing the second doctor, really. Yeah. Uh, and also, there's also the sadness of um, <laughs> again. To, I don't want to keep referencing the end, the, the end of the RTD era, but because there's the whole thing about Donna being made to forget in Journey's End. But this is the first time we actually see companions get their memory wiped because Jamie and yes. Zoe, and it's an incredibly sad. Well, in all fairness, the, the, the time laws did allow them to retain the memory of their the first, first adventure. Event. But it's still incredibly it is sad. Very it's sad. very sad. I mean, I mean, when, when you know, someone like Jamie has been with the second Doctor since his second adventure. And, yeah. And it's wonderfully played. It's not, because it, it's not overdone. It's not like lots of big music and tears. It's just... And and as the, when when Zoe says to him, "Oh, will I ever see you again?" and he goes, oh, "You and I know time is relative," yeah, and that's a really that touching a nice little moment. thing, I, and it really kind of almost choked me up a little bit because even though it's been quite a dull story in some ways, even though you know I wouldn't say to people don't watch it, I certainly wouldn't. You always got the chemistry of those three leads yeah. and see them parted like that forcibly parted like that it's so sad it's not a big heroic end it's just they don't have a choice and even the doctor seems so defeated yeah and then then he sent spinning off into the darkness screaming for his life really it's quite funny when when they're kind of like you would have thought that time lords with all their amazing technology and stuff would be able to show him some photographs of what he might look like as opposed to you know some some police sketches it's like would you like to look like this paedophile or this paedophile or you know sorry are you suggesting john pertwee looks like a paedophile they didn't have any drawing of john pertwee they they, they did have one a bit like david tennant though they did yes but we're not making those kind of we've gone horribly wrong already (laughs) and you're you know, so it, it's 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 funny. It's quite a sad ending to the story, and it's quite a sad ending for the second Doctor. It's not a big, dramatic goodbye. It's not Tom Baker saving the universe. No, I don't think it, it's him. Yeah, it's him just pleading for his life and losing, really. Which it doesn't have poignancy. A lot of poignancy. Although I did think it was, it was quite interesting, actually, when he started rallying so much against being sent to Earth. Like, you know, that primitive planet and la la la, and, and because he does have a genuine sort of fondness for it. I, yeah. I can understand why he, you know, I, I think it was the loss of his TARDIS that he was. It but was it's a genuine, it's a fondness as long as he doesn't, he's not stuck there. Yeah. You know, it's fine as long as he's got his freedom. It's like we see, you know, early John Pertwee, he's angry, and but once he gets his TARDIS working, you know, he's visiting Earth all the time. Yes. Because do you know the series six B theory? It's maybe something we'll, we could talk about more when we do two doctors. But there's a theory that actually what we see doesn't at the end of War Games isn't what really happens. That the doctor, the second doctor, then works for the Time Lords for a while, which is why he's older in two doctors and five doctors, like noticeably older. And and then he has all these adventures, but eventually they reinforce the exile anyway, and and that's where Spared from Space comes in. And it's all based on a lot of circumstantial evidence and stuff like yeah no i don't like it (laughs) no the thing is i I don't really like it i mean i'm not sure to say oh two doctors didn't happen (laughs) because for me i think it really undercuts the uh the sadness of the end of the war games which is one of the things i really like about it that final episode i think it just if you think 
oh, it's so sad that James gets his memory wiped. But then later on, the Doctor comes and picks him up, and they have more wacky adventures. It just... Yeah, yeah. it's just nice, but I don't think it's how it rolls. <laughs> and it takes away, again, it takes away what I keep bringing up, that, that, that thing of him spinning away into the darkness. It, it totally takes away the emotional impact of that. If you think, ah, uh, but then he woke up and he was fine for a while. Yeah. It doesn't work. Don't don't no, really like. No, I've never liked don't it. Like it. Don't like it as a, as a theory. As much as I would like to be able to, yeah, completely forget about any multi-doctor stories. You're really not keen on them, are you? I didn't. I think I realised how much you disliked. They're ridiculous. It, the problem is, is that when you come up with a premise that, oh, you know, uh, the, it 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 stops being plot driven, and it's just about the fact that you've got more than one doctor in there. Yeah. No. So everything just feels really artificial and and cobbled together, and and yeah, no, it's it's no substitute for a, a you know good organically evolved story. That's interesting. So actually, much like me, because a lot of people are going, oh, wouldn't it be great to have a multi doctor story for the fiftieth anniversary, and I'm actually thinking. No, I was actually quite pleased when Christopher Eccleston recently said I'm not coming back to do a, a story for the 50th anniversary because I was like, I like your Doctor, I like your Doctor a lot and I'm sure he'd be really interesting to play off against Matt Smith but actually I don't want 20 Doctors on screen or however well, many, it. And, 11 um, on screen or punching each other trying to get screen time. It's interesting you say that actually because uh, looking at the uh, the trailer for the new uh, Matt Smith series um, before it was released, obviously there was a shot of what looked like somebody regenerating. From the Doctor's wife. In, in, yeah, from what we now know is in the Doctor's wife, but at the, ti- uh, wife, uh, but at the time all we knew is that it was in the 10th Doctor's TARDIS and it looked like <laughs> someone was regenerating and we were all kind of like, oh my god, you know, um, maybe there's going to be another and it was uh, the old, doctor. It was your old tenant TARDIS as well, wasn't it? Yeah, that, that was what really TARDIS. got people. Uh, yeah, that was it. And um, and people were wondering if there could be a multi-doctor story. And I kind of said to Adam at the time that I didn't think it was Stephen Moffat's thing, but I could potentially imagine there being scope for something where um, uh, a, a previous incarnation of the Doctor, maybe tenants or something, comes back as some sort of... <laughs> Almost like as a, a sort of ghost or a memory or yeah. something like that. Something that doesn't actually have a, a big speaking part, but something that, you know, is just there. But, you know, uh, as, as we know, it wasn't, ultimately. But actually, it's interesting you bring up the Doctor's wife, because obviously that features a little cube that yes! first appeared in the war games. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah. <laughs> It, it was it was so nice and and I love the way uh, just to, just to go a little uh, that Matt Smith played that as well when he greeted the cube like an old friend and like ah oh, and and it was it was really nice to to see that I, I love it I really love it I I love the way that Stephen Moffat quite sensitively Ooh. incorporates. We're talking war games. I, I know, but I, I do like the way he incorporates there's, there's a lot of little old things into some yeah. of the new ones. That's but yeah. that's but it's, it's a nice deal because there was always a thing about, oh, people think of the war chief was going to come back. I was like, oh, no, don't bring the war chief back. No, uh, it's a bit like boring. That. It was just a little... Um, really? Did, did you find... Well, no, I mean, just if you brought him back, he, he was good in the context of this story, but he would just be another sort of like sub-master. Exactly. Unless he is the master, going back to what I said. One thing that made me laugh, and again, it's a bit of a fanboy thing, was because you know this whole thing about the translation circuits and the TARDIS, yes. and they obviously were dodgy today because everyone was speaking French yeah. or German. The doctor didn't seem to understand them half the it time. Was, it was making me laugh actually because uh, uh, my understanding of French let me know that uh, what what the, the guy was actually saying in French was very different to what the English guy was actually. Oh interpreting right, was it was him. it completely different? It, it, yeah, it was pretty different. Um, I, so I don't know if he was actually asked to like ad lib his lines in French or something, and then the other guy was just like saying his lines in English but it was quite making me laughing like like the guy was going I'm thirsty I'm thirsty and the other guy was going 
something about the war, la la la. I was kind of like, no, no. <laughs> so, so you have to see the guy go, ah, baguette, brie, uh, Eiffel Tower. And he's going, yes, obviously, we. this is where the resistance group is. <laughs> That's what he's telling us. I, I do like the fact that, you know, they're obviously back. Jack Chirac. The fact that, yeah, that, that, that might have been a, a bit, was that pre-Jack Chirac? I'm like, yeah. Well, yeah, I know. Yeah. And I'm just thinking of French words I know. <laughs> <laughs> Jack Chirac, he's not a French word, you know, you twat. It's close enough. It's close enough. That's like saying Adam Clegg is an English word, I know. Well, I'm an English person, it's close enough. (laughs) Anyway, anything else to add? Good premise. Liked it a lot. Don't think it needed ten episodes. Zoe's really hot. That's about it. Yeah, I was going to say... Fun if you split it if if you split it up, which I would recommend doing. Take say two episodes at a time at the most, split it out over a few days. Then I would definitely recommend it in one go. Definitely not, but very good final episode. Uh, good, uh, Patrick Harding is a good final performance. Very decent villains. There's a lot. Of, I, I like. There's a lot of interplay between the villains and lots of uh, trying to one upmanship, which yes. helps drive the plot along or at least keeps it a bit more interesting. But yeah, so contact details. If you want to get in contact and say what you think, you don't have to. We we don't tend to read out feedback on the show because just because we don't really. But we always appreciate hearing it. Uh, you can email us at nakedscarf at gmail dot com. You can check us out on Twitter, which is me, by the way. If you, if you're talking to Twitter account, you're talking to me. I I do apologise for that. Which is uh, at naked scarf. That's Why one do you word. have to apologise for that? Because I'm sure, I'm sure people talk. you talk, I think they're talking to you, and they're like, "Whoa, I'm talking to a girl," <laughs> and then they're just getting me going, "Ha ha ha." Yeah, but they don't want to talk to me about Doctor Who on Twitter. They wouldn't get a straight answer. No, that's true. Um, you can ch- check out our Tumblr, uh, which is nakedscarf.tumblr.com. Do you want to? Do you want to use this opportunity to get to uh, advertise your upcoming vegan blog? Have they launched their upcoming vegan Well, no, 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 but you can tell no. people it's coming soon. Oh, oh, oh God. No, I, I don't really want to use this opportunity because I can't imagine there are very many, like, you know, thirsty well, Doctor well, Who geek nerds it, out there who are also just vegans. Give it, just, just give them the goddamn URL. <laughs> Vegans-take-london.com. Thank you, Lauren. Vegans-take-london.com is not currently up and running, but um, it will soon. be soon. It, it, it's done by vegans about eating vegan stuff. I'm sure it would be lovely. And if you want, I'll throw in a couple of hot, sexy lesbian experiences just to make it more interesting. Oh, that's dreadful. <laughs> um, I'm that's in so really, much trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, if you join us next week, no, next week, uh, next episode even, we'll be looking at the TV movie. No! No! That's yes, we really will. Oh yes. my god. Andy <laughs> may be drunk. And <laughs> on like, that It's the only way I can deal with it. And on that bombshell, take care folks. Help me.